Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. In a day and age where memes rule the internet and catchphrases are what many people are looking for, I present to you one that we can easily use for the reading from the Gospel of Luke today. Now just wait before I go any further. For some of you, it's possible that you have no idea what I just said. So let me take a step back and talk about some of those words from that first sentence. The internet. This is the worldwide computer network that people use to communicate with other people through different forms of media platforms like email or posting messages or pictures. So it's what face-to-face conversations used to be, which then evolved to calling people over the phone, which then evolved to just sending a message online through your phone, even if the person is right next to you. On the internet, you find things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's also used to find information on a variety of topics, You know, back in the day when we had a library full of books that we used to have to flip through pages and pages of stuff to find answers to questions? All we need now is a phone because all the answers can be found here now by a little tool named Google. And the second word you may not have understood, a meme. A meme is a cultural item in the form of an image, video, or phrase that is spread through the internet and often altered in a creative or humorous way. So you take a picture like the one I just used of two people texting one another even though they're right next to one another. You put a funny caption on it, and the internet world goes crazy over it. Or if you can come up with a catchphrase that everyone can use in real life, then you win the internet. Okay, so now I've done the best that I can explaining this to you. Let me start over again. In a day and age where memes rule the internet and catchphrases are what many people are looking for, I present to you one that we can easily use for the reading from the Gospel of Luke today. That is, the struggle is real. This phrase is a generally ironic saying often used in place of the saying, first world problems. It represents a situation where someone wishes to express that they are encountering some sort of undesirable difficulty, but dealing with it. With irony, it has a comical effect of dramatizing a non-critical yet undesirable situation. That's why you have a picture of a T-Rex trying to reach a hamburger with the phrase, the struggle is real. You know that the T-Rex has a mouth and can just eat it, but you make it funny by focusing on his short arms not being able to reach it. Another example might be me saying, My phone just died and I left my charger at home. The struggle is real. Now the phrase, the struggle is real, is often used in our world today in a less than serious manner. But I'd like to use it in a more serious manner. In the Gospel reading, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is working his way towards his death, his crucifixion, and subsequent resurrection in Jerusalem. 
as he's going through the towns and villages, someone asks him if only a few are going to be saved. Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Rather, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, if we look at the Greek word for strive, it's agonizomai. That is the English word agonize. This word has its roots in athletic competitions. An athlete gives everything they have to win a competition. They agonize over accomplishing their goal. They strive, they agonize, they struggle. To do what? Well, in this case, to enter through the narrow door. This, Jesus says, is what is most important. That is your goal. Strive, agonize, struggle to enter through the narrow door. Now, what's he talking about with this narrow door, though? Jesus is going to go on and paint this image of a feast with people coming from all directions, all nations, who will recline at the table with him. Now, anytime you hear talk of a feast in the New Testament, it's going back to Isaiah chapter 25, which is a verse that you often hear at funerals. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. This image is the marriage feast of God's kingdom after Jesus returns, with Jesus being the bridegroom and the church, the people of God, being the bride of Christ. This banquet of rich food and wine celebrates God's victory over sin, the devil, and especially death. Hence why Isaiah goes on to say that the Lord will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. It's a celebration of the resurrection. Jesus says to strive to enter through the narrow door because through that door is the marriage feast of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, a feast that has no end. But as Jesus goes on to say, not everyone will be able to enter the feast. And he uses the example of the master, the owner of a house, that's God, getting up and closing the door. Once he closes the door... Those who are in, are in. And those who are out, are out. And Jesus says that some who are out are going to come and knock on the door and they're going to talk through the door and they're going to ask the owner to open the door. The owner, Jesus, then responds with, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. When we look at God's word and the word know, It's more than just a mental awareness of something. It's an intimate acquaintance, connection. It's a tangible kind of knowledge. It's often used to describe sexual intercourse because it's not just knowing someone mentally, it's physical too. It's not that those on the outside are not mentally aware, it's that they don't have a connection with the master, the owner, God. They are not of his household and are not a part of the feast. Well, they then say that they do have some passing acquaintance with him. They ate with him or near him. They saw him teach where they lived. And he says again, I don't know you. And then he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. That's because those who are on the outside are not just strangers to God. They're actually his enemies. And as a result, they are not 
part of the eternal banquet. When you read through Luke 13 and Jesus speaks and he uses the word you, it's not that hard to put yourself into this scenario and ask this question. If that door closes today, am I on the inside or am I on the outside? Am I a worker of evil? If you're like me, then it's pretty easy to say, yes, I am a worker of evil. How do I know this? Well, do I sin? Yes. Is sin evil? Yes. Am I therefore a worker of evil? Absolutely. Or I think about Paul's words from Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I know I'm not supposed to sin, give in to temptation, but that is the very thing I keep on doing, and I hate it, and I hate myself for it. And then I throw up my hands and say, like the disciples, who then can be saved? That's because what I deserve for my actions, for my sins, for my works of evil, is to have the door closed on me and for me to be on the outside. And those who are on the outside who do not get to participate in the banquet receive eternal damnation, death, hell. That is what we all deserve for our sin. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Yeah, the struggle is real, and it's impossible. And so God's word to you this day is the same word that Jesus responds to his disciples with. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. There's only one way to enter the house, to participate in the feast that never ends. And that way is through Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, the only way, even earlier in John, had said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He is the way, the door, the one who gets you to heaven. And sticking with John, getting to heaven, happens through faith in Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus knew that we couldn't save ourselves, that we would never come to know God on our own the way he wants us to know him. Apart from him, coming down to earth himself, revealing himself as God and ultimately being our savior, our sacrifice, dying for our sins, the sins of the whole world, the sins that separate us from God and make us his enemies. Jesus died for all of those sins on the cross. And he rose from the dead, proving that he is the only way. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to give us the faith to believe in him, to know him, the true, narrow door that leads to everlasting life. Everlasting life where we celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom. And today as we gather, we get a foretaste of the feast that is to come. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have this close, intimate connection with Jesus as we receive his body and blood in the bread and wine for the forgiveness of our sins, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. But these blessings are only for those who have faith. 
That's why it's important to tell the world what God's word says, what his word teaches, and what we believe, teach, and confess through the power of the Holy Spirit. This message is for all of you, for all people. But as Luke tells us, there will be some who are left on the outside when the doors are closed, when Christ returns. The reality is, is there are a lot of good people in this world who know lots of things, but will not be in heaven. As Luke writes, And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. We can have knowledge in lots of things, be the smartest people in the world, but it means nothing if we don't know God. What we want is everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. And coming to a knowledge of the truth is what we call faith. What we want is belief for all people. And this is exactly what God wants, as we see in 1 Timothy 2. He wants all people to know him, to come to a knowledge of the truth, to believe and have eternal life. The struggle is real, but Jesus makes it easy because of his death and resurrection, because of his great love. He promises we who believe that he will swallow up death forever. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.